Welcome back to We Are Here, a Keystone Edge podcast starring Pennsylvanians making their mark. I'm your host, Lee Stabert. This series has been created in partnership with PA Humanities, an organization dedicated to building community and sparking change. We hope these conversations will do the same. For thousands of years before the arrival of European settlers, the Lenape hunted, fished, and farmed the lands around the Delaware River. From there, the history is a dark one. The indigenous tribes were forcibly removed from their lands and eventually exiled west, far from their ancestral home. The brutality did not end with the living. Burial grounds were exhumed and artifacts sent around the country to museums, universities, and private collections. Now there has been an effort to right that wrong and to allow for a measure of healing. In April 2022, the bodies of 180 Lenape ancestors and nearly 10,000 funereal artifacts were repatriated and reinterred. The new burial site is on the grounds of Pensbury Manor, a historic estate on the banks of the Delaware River in Bucks County, PA. This massive effort, which not only involved complicated logistics, but also incredibly complicated cultural and historical dynamics, was accomplished thanks to teamwork and a whole lot of listening. To tell us all about the project and the history surrounding it, we're joined by Jeremy Johnson, Cultural Education Director of the Delaware Tribe of Indians, and Doug Miller, Site Administrator of Pensbury Manor. Before we start this conversation, I would like to just make sure we're getting the terminology right, because in all my reading about this program, I hear see Lenape, I see Delaware. And Jeremy, could you please just explain to us the difference between those two terms and what you'd, how you'd prefer us to talk about the tribe? Well, our name for ourselves is Lenape, and that is what we refer to ourselves as historically. So we prefer Lenape. Delaware was given to us much later mm-hmm. uh, in recognition of where we lived and the name that was given from the uh, basically the colonizers and the to the Delaware River. And because we lived in that along the Delaware River, we refer to it as the Delaware Indians. We ourselves call ourselves Lenape, and then. Within that, though, we have five different Lenape communities, which are all referred to by their tribal names. I am from the Delaware Tribe of Indians. You have Delaware Nation, and you also have uh, the Stockbridge, Muncie, Band of Mohican Indians, and then you also have uh, two uh, Canadian First Nations groups as well. So we prefer to be referred to as Lenape when we're talking about the collective Lenape peoples, and then as far as individual tribal nations, we refer to those as their tribal nation names. Okay, great. And so that's appropriate for this conversation, correct? Lenape, because we're talking about the broader group of people who lived in this part of the world before colonization. Yes, that would be correct. Okay, great. Well, let's start there. Let's talk about this part of the world and who were the people here and why they aren't here now. To give you a you know well, a, a, a little softball yeah. <laughs> to start. <laughs> uh, the Lenape were the... Um, considered the uh, grandfathers of the uh, eastern seaboard there within Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Delaware, parts of Maryland. We're an Algonquian-speaking tribe. As far as how long we've been there, we say time immemorial. Archaeology and science is catching up to our stories. and <laughs> They've said at one point, oh, they only lived there for 5,000 years. We've said forever. Now the, the, the historic record is showing at least 16,000 to 20,000 years wow. in the area. We do not inhabit the areas of what we call Lenape Hulking. You know, that is uh, our homelands, the place of the Lenape anymore. It's a history of 300 years of forced removals. 
each of our five different communities now. We've had a diaspora. At one point, you know, we, we inhabited that area as a collective, not necessarily a centralized government, but in general, different family groups and communities that would get together at different times uh, of the year. But what has happened is there a 300 years of forced removals, broken treaties. Uh, the Delaware tribe has eight forced removals over the course of 300 years. I often say, even though it's not the oppression Olympics, you know, when we talk about these things, we are the most removed tribe in the United States. And we've gone from living in what is present day New Jersey to Bartlesville, Oklahoma now, uh, all the way from New Jersey through Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Indiana, Missouri, uh, into Kansas for periods of time. And then in 1868, we were basically forced to reside within Indian territory under the uh, Cherokee Nation. Now, our other groups as well had their own stories because they began to break off different leaders, chose different paths, and that's why we have five different communities now, two in Oklahoma and one in Wisconsin and two in uh, Ontario, Canada. So this is about this repatriation project, bringing remains and artifacts from across the country and back into this space that was traditionally Lenape land. Can you talk about the burial traditions of your tribe and how that connects to the idea of repatriation, why this was particularly important within the context of your traditions? Yeah, when um, our people uh, in the past would uh, bury our relatives, there were no markers. That was not the idea. The idea was not necessarily to... um, memorialize a, a burial space uh, with markers and things of that nature. So that's why oftentimes, you know, we come across burial sites because they aren't marked. So one of the things that we do is that whenever we have our ancestors, our ancestral remains, is we try to rebury them in an area close to where they were disinterred. So that was a very important to find those spaces. And we actually have kind of a these uh, circles around these sites that we have that we can um, uh, comfortably reinter these ancestral remains. And so it was important for us to get these ancestors and to return them to the earth in some place that they would have found familiar. Yeah. So. We're talking about geography. We're talking about ancestral homelands. Let's talk about the geography of Pensbury Manor. Let's bring this in here. People might not be familiar with this historic site. Doug, can you just tell us a little bit about Pensbury Manor and where it's located and where it's located in relation to the historic lands of the Lenape? So Pensbury Manor sits right in the middle of Lenape Hogan, the ancestral homeland of the Lenape. When Penn gets the charter for Pennsylvania from King Charles II. His cousin is his advanced man, and he sails up the Delaware, and there had been Europeans in the Delaware drainage for about 60 years prior to this. Captain Markham puts in in Morrisville, just upriver from us, meets with Lenape tribal members and brokers a land purchase, which includes this land. If people were to look at the map of Pennsylvania, we are the elbow of Pennsylvania that sticks into the side of New Jersey, just below Trenton. It's where the river turns. The earliest accounts reference Indian fields being here. So it's very clear that the Lenape were here first, had been cultivating the land. 
It is in the estuary flow of the Delaware, which is an area of incredible bounty as far as foodways goes, whether it's from the shellfish, whether it's from the fish themselves, the migratory birds. And that river plain is excellent for farming, which was one of the reasons why Penn was interested in that land. So has Pennsbury Manor ever been involved in any projects contending with the indigenous legacy of where it sits before this? Or was this the first time that you guys have really engaged with this history? With relation to repatriation, this was a first for us. As a historic site, we had had a discovery grant through the Pew Charitable Trust, which allowed me and uh, the museum educator to travel to Oklahoma to meet tribal representatives of the Delaware Tribe of Indians in Bartlesville and the Delaware Nation in Anadarko. And the aspiration of the site was to tell the Penn and the Indian story, but from a native perspective, because it's a different story than we think we understand. Yeah. Prior to those visits, I had been approached by a tribal member who was working on repatriation. This was 2004. And the state's archaeologist of New Jersey, just in a sort of, can we sit down and talk? And we had discussed the possibility of a burial ground at Pensbury, but it remained quiet as the Delaware were seeking out their lost ancestors and working through the very complex process of repatriation. Yeah, I think that before we go any further, I think we just need to talk about this practice of taking native remains to educational institutions, museums. It's kind of unbelievable. And I think that preparing for this interview, I really learned the scale of it. And maybe can you guys talk about that practice and how it originated and how it became so insidious? And I was reading a little bit also that in 1990, the Native Graves Protection and Repatriation Act was passed in order to try to correct this wrong. And that really kicked off a lot of this, the grappling with this legacy. Jeremy, can you talk a little bit about this practice and, and how it became so widespread? You know, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question because I have the same questions. How did it become so widespread? Yeah. Why? This fascination with Native American life, this understanding or lack of understanding of cultural ways and the fact that, you know, so many nations resided within what is now the United States. And I don't I don't quite understand it still. I don't understand going to a gravesite and saying, Hey, let's take these bones, let's take them and study them, and then put them on a shelf or put them into the public gaze. It doesn't even matter whether it's our remains or say even, you know, everyone seems more familiar with like the Egyptian remains, the mummies Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Um, I understand to a certain extent trying to understand the practices of, of people who you're unfamiliar with, but it just became widespread. Yeah. of these people who were treasure seekers or looters or grave robbers basically going and trying to find these these burial sites. And a lot of times it was because of what they might find there, these items that were left with these ancestors to aid them in the afterlife, <clears throat> some things that were precious to them, knives, weapons, pipes, pottery, those types of things became coveted items among these collectors who were just intrigued. But the scale of it is mind-boggling to me. When we talk about how many 
of our ancestral remains are sitting on shelves in museums and universities and private collections, which NAGPRA does not regulate. NAGPRA is basically anything dealing with federal dollars. Anyone who accepts one federal dollar has to abide by NAGPRA, which is that protection act that would then we can get those remains back in our possession but it doesn't it doesn't apply to private collections there are hundreds of private collectors with skulls and femurs and fingers and just these things sitting on shelves i actually heard a story uh, very recently and i don't exactly remember where it was but i remember they this one gentleman had a underground basement full of ancestral remains of different groups. Whenever people came in to take them, he was upset. He said, you're not taking my Indians. It boggles, I, I keep using that word. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm just flabbergasted by how many are out there and the view of these things, because these are our grandpas and grandmas. These are our relatives. These are, we joke about it sometimes, because what can you do sometimes? Yeah. It's so massive, you know, whenever I'm Jewish, we, deal, we understand laughing at yeah. death. That's like part <laughs> yeah. of our whole yeah, thing. Yeah, at, at a certain point, you know, you're either, you can only laugh or cry. Yeah. And so we often, and uh, indigenous folks, Lenape people, it's often overlooked the humor yeah. that we within our culture. And so we we often laugh and we said, hey, let's go out here to the graveyard and go dig up something from the 1800s and display it in our cultural center and talk about how, oh, this is a Caucasian female who was probably born in 18 whatever, and these are the artifacts we found with her. Yeah. You know, so just to kind of highlight the absurdity. Yeah, and the dehumanization. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I think this is a good segue to talking about a huge part of this repatriation project. And I think a very important element, you're talking about the idea that these were put on display. They were objects of fascination. You guys are really trying to correct that at Pensbury. The site is private. People cannot go visit there. It is not on a map. You know, you can't be like, oh, let's go see the 18th century tools and then the burial ground. It's not that. Can you talk a little bit about the genesis of those guidelines that you guys really, you know, we're going to do this, but we're going to do this in the way that that respects us and, and our humanity. The nations, all five uh, Lenape communities got together. And whenever we got into the discussion of the site, one of the main concerns was that exact same thing is we're taking these ancestors from these institutions and we're placing them in their final resting place again. Someplace we hope they aren't disturbed forever. You know, an actual true final resting place. And we don't want people there disturbing that site. We don't want it to become a a destination, not only because that might encourage looters again, which yeah. we've taken we took steps to try to mitigate that as well. But it was really the idea that this isn't for anybody else. This reinterment and this reburial is for our communities and our community healing. That is not for anybody else to witness. That is something that we have done for hundreds of years as our ceremonies and, and practices and that we do not share those things because they can be corrupted, they can be taken and corrupted and used in ways that are not, they aren't intended. And so 
this idea was we want to make it for our community only. We were glad we were provided the space, and Doug and the staff at Pinsbury were very uh, understanding and helpful in that sense and very respectful of that. And so that's why we felt very comfortable doing it there at Pinsbury. Now that site is not marked. We're not putting any signs up. There will be probably a small sign that talks about the fact that there was a reburial at that site and the gathering of our five Lenape nations for the first time in probably close to 100 to 150 years. So it also achieved another purpose too. It brought our community together. Our ancestors, even though the trauma of them being ripped from the earth, put on display for however long they were, that trauma of that and the trauma of having to prepare those ancestral remains and artifacts was also an important part of a path to healing for our own communities, of bringing them together to actually address and pass grievances within our own communities. And so it it was a way to bring us together. So our ancestors are the reasons we are here today. And that's, that's for anyone, but you know, they're the, they're the reason we are able to say we're Lenape today. And they are also the reason that we were brought back together. So that's how important these, these ancestors are to us. So that's why we didn't want it to be a public thing. We don't want to share that because it's just not for the wider community. You're listening to We Are Here from Keystone Edge, produced in partnership with PA Humanities, which believes in putting people first. Their work champions the humanities across Pennsylvania, centering growth, equity, and community as a pathway to positive, lasting change. Learn more at pahumanities.org. Doug, I'd love if you could speak a little bit about trying to navigate all of this, which is all very sensitive. With the history of museums, the museums were propagating the desecration of Native American grave sites, the removal of the ancestors, the removal of funerary objects in the name of science, in the name of history, and so on. But to Jeremy's point, these are people's grandparents, and they need to be treated with the same respect that we treat our own grandparents. And I think part of the time from when I was first approached about the idea of a burial ground to the actual creation and the interment of the ancestors here was building trust. Because museums have broken that trust with the Native community in so many ways. I will say I had great support within my chain of command, the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission, and a willingness to undertake this. I think the critical question that I asked along the way was not, how can we do this, but what do you want to do? Jeremy was in the lead of coordinating the reinterment. It included bringing ancestors from collecting institutions from across the country, from as far as west as California. I will say that as a professional, I was aghast at how cavalier some collecting institutions were. I was also very impressed with how some treated the ancestors and the tribal communities with the respect that they deserve. We absolutely agreed and were in lockstep with the five tribes that this would be a private interment. And I think the best example that I can use is, you know, who do you invite to your grandparents' funeral? (laughs) You don't invite the general public. We kept non-tribal members in the visitor center while the tribes gathered It was a wonderful, exhausting, 
emotional time for my staff and myself as well. I can only imagine what it was for Jeremy and the, the tribal members. But it yeah. definitely felt as if it was the right thing to do, and it's a small step, but one in recognition that these are the first people. They were here long before Penn was, and in a way, it, it sort of felt like we were going full circle, providing some space for the ancestors to come home. And within you know, my limited career, it's the greatest compliment that my institution and I myself have had professionally and I was just gratified to be a small part of it. This podcast is about the humanities and, you know, how I think we kind of digest history and culture and how it can bring us together. And I think there's a really interesting tension here between the respect for privacy, not wanting to like digest this through the European and colonial experience, but also I have learned so much learning about this. I think it is so instructive. I think it is a really a concrete example of the ways that Native people were treated in this country and continue to be and how hard these efforts to kind of like make right are to accomplish. I guess my question is, through this humanities lens, are there plans to talk about this process? Outside of making the site public, is the tribe interested in being part of telling this story? Or do you just feel like this is our story and we're done with educating everybody else? We don't need to take that on. That's a really good question. It's kind of a mix. Yeah. You know, it, it is a mix of how we, we approach things, especially with the, the Delaware tribe. I'm not going to speak for the other nations because they have different ways of dealing as well. We've kind of had this general idea of how we, we deal with these things now. And we still try to educate. We take part in conferences talking about uh, 106 and NACPRA consultations. The 106 is a federal mandate to, to get consultation when you break ground on any federal projects, projects that have any federal dollars, whether it's a highway or a cell phone tower, whatever that may be. We need to be consulted in those ways. And so, and then we talk about the process that we've gone through with NAGPRA and how to do that respectfully and how to do that in the, the correct ways. And then just in general, when we're talking about our stories and about these issues, one thing that I say has changed over the years is our willingness now just to kind of advocate for ourselves. This is something that's changed recently, being able to say, you know what, you're not listening. You're not listening to what we want. You're not listening to what we say. You're not listening. We're being erased again in this conversation. And we're going to walk away. And we'll do this on our own. Yeah. We've done it for how many hundreds of years? We've already done this. We've already been on our own. So it's not a new area for us to reside in. We, we're, we're, we're just as comfortable there. And so that's something that's changed recently, honestly, because we've always felt in the past, I feel like our, um, our leaders had their hands tied in different ways. And so they would often kind of bend over backwards to accommodate the people who were coming into the community and saying, we, we can do this, we can do this. And these were things that need to be done in our communities, but um, they had to accommodate because they didn't have the means to, um, to do these things themselves. And so nowadays we do. We're exercising our sovereign rights. We're exercising our, our power as indigenous nations. And it's a new development. Now we can finally start saying, you know, we've been here. We've done this. We would like you to be with us, but we don't need you to be with us to do these things. Yeah. And uh, it would be much easier to work together doing these things. But uh, we're, we're used to doing these things on our own and have been for 300, 400 years. 
Doug, can you then maybe also speak to how going through this process as a historical institution has changed your perspective on how you think about history and history specifically of this part of Pennsylvania, this part of America? You know, has it really adjusted how you guys speak, how you create new materials, how you create new programming? It certainly has. Prior to the the reburial, my trip to Oklahoma and meeting the tribal leadership and the tribal members when I was there, in retrospect, was kind of the the catalyst for me to start to think about change. Both groups that I met with challenged and asked the site to do two things. One was let people know the Delaware are alive and well, they just don't live along the Delaware, and help people find them. And the other challenge was tell the story of the walking purchase. And of course, the walking purchase ties to the forced removal from Pennsylvania. And it's propagated by William Penn's sons, but it happens 20 years after Penn's death. And our charge at Pennsbury was to talk about Penn's life, but it left me to think about legacy. And legacy can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. And that trust that was built up was broken by the Penn family. And it caused irreparable damage to the Lenape communities that were displaced. And to Jeremy's point, I think along that way and working with the Pew Charitable Trust, one of the pieces that I took inspiration from is a book called Letting Go, which is about community-based interpretation. And if you really want to be serious about this, you need to ask the community, how do they want to tell their story and what do they want to tell? And the site then acts as a platform for them to tell their story. And that's where Pensbury is now. The museum commission that I work for is very interested in working respectfully with the variety of indigenous communities that occupied land in in the breadth of Pennsylvania. We will make missteps. We have in the past, but having... The people who own this history, and when Jeremy and I first met, we were having a cup of coffee, and over that cup of coffee, he made a comment to me that has resonated and I I took in, which was, I hate it when people tell me my history. And I totally understand that when I think about my family's history as well. I think humanities institutions owe it to themselves, to the communities that they serve, and the communities that will engage with them to take two steps back and allow those communities to have a voice at their sites. While I'm chatting with you about sort of the institutional side, can you talk a little bit about the PA Sharp grant and how that helped you guys accomplish this big project? Absolutely. Of course, this project was coming together during the pandemic. Pensbury was a proud recipient of a PA Sharp grant, and we utilized those funds to keep staff who might have been laid off on staff and on site. And Jeremy alluded to the fact that our staff worked very hard during that time period to accommodate everything that we possibly could without the funds to support that staff contingent. It wouldn't have played out the way that it did from the site's perspective, and we may have been a far less accommodating host for such an important event. Jeremy, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I was going to add to that just in the sense that um, without that staff and the work, one one thing that kind of may get may get lost in this conversation is that the coordination of the arrival of the ancestors to the day of their reinterment and the preparation of thousands of artifacts and ancestral remains, we did in four days. You're talking about multiple 
burials, multiple preparations. You're talking about close to 200 ancestors that we had to prepare, as well as the associated funerary objects, which, which numbered in the thousands. And so without that preparation and the help from the staff to do the things we need, such as provide firewood, provide space here, help prepare food, yeah. um, these types of things, we had four days. That's it, just because of the way we do things culturally and traditionally. We had four days, and without that help, it would have not been completed in that amount of time. And one thing I will say is that I was very thankful that what Doug was saying about listening and hearing what your community is saying is the support we needed. I was very thankful that they were there and we asked them to do something. It was it was done without question and, and gladly, happily done. It was very very nice to see that because at a certain point, they had all this time. I'm sure they felt a certain way. I may be speaking for you, Doug, but they had all these preparations and all these weeks leading up to and when the time came for us to be there. Then it was like they just kind of had to step back. I was really um, thankful for that mindset because they were very integral in getting things prepared there on the site, but they also knew hey, it's our time to step back. I bet that was tough at times, you know, because when you're that invested sometimes, I'm sure it is. I, I, I get that way. When I'm invested in something, it is hard to turn those things over. Like, okay, now we're, we're here to support, let you do your thing. So, But they did, and that staff um, was very, very um, helpful, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, okay, Jeremy, I want to give you the last word. We're wrapping up. If someone's listening to this podcast, they're walking in Pennsylvania, they're driving in Pennsylvania, they're looking out at the Delaware River, what is something you'd like them to know or, or maybe to take a minute to consider about who was here first and about the history of this physical space that now, again, is home to these repatriated remains and this stronger connection to this, hopefully a strong connection to this Lenape tribe? What I'd like for people to realize is that if you're looking at someplace like the Delaware River or you're looking at simply the trees or the, the plants there, that there are other ways of life that were supported for thousands of years. The way that we lived was, without being stereotypical, it was very much in harmony and also is not in dominion over those mm -hmm. lands, that we had uh, a relationship with where we lived. And I'd like for people to try to reestablish those relationships because that's how we've done it. We are no longer there to steward be stewards of the land as we once were, but we carry that land with us. We carry that land today in our designs of our beadwork and ribbon work and our clothing, traditional clothing and regalia. We carry the stories from that land even today. And there is a, a longing for our people to have that sense of place again that we had in Lenape Hawking. We, we've been in this area now for 150 years, but it still feels foreign at times. You well, know, what's 150 whenever... versus 16,000, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And so to realize that in Lenape Hawking, it feels different for different people and to appreciate it in that sense, that this is a... This area, the, the Lenape Hawking, is, is bountiful and beautiful and it rich with history. And we've left, Lenape left their mark in where settlements are now, where the cities are 
mm-hmm. where where people work in the industries. These were modeled by Lenape. We were the ones who showed this is where you go to fish. This is where you go to harvest. These are these are good lands for these things, and that we've left our mark there, and it's still there because without the Lenape, you wouldn't have places like Philadelphia. You know, you wouldn't have places that are, are major, major cities and gathering points because these were often built in places that were naturally for us to gather and to to harvest or to hunt and these things. And that we still carry that. And our, we've left our legacy in place names. And so when the, whenever there are names, one that always pops up in my head is Punxsutawney. You know, mm-hmm. it is literally in Lenape, Mosquito Town. <laughs> so we've left our name our, our mark with the names we gave places. Yeah. And for people to realize that and maybe even take a moment to say, where did that name come from? Why was this name Mosquito Town? Well, you know, if you've been to Punxsutawney, you probably can figure out that that, that was probably prevalent there. Um, we have places like the Perkyoman Valley. Pocky means cranberries. And so it used to have cranberry bogs there. So realizing that history is there in the names that we left behind, that we no longer live there, but we left our legacy and that we still long to have that same sense of place within our own communities. That's it for this installment of We Are Here. If you have thoughts on the conversation you just heard or ideas for what we should cover in upcoming episodes, please visit our website, keystoneedge.com or reach us via our social channels at Keystone Edge on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you'd like to learn more about the history and the legacy of the Lenape, visit DelawareTribe.org. Until next time. Funding for We Are Here comes from PA Humanities and its federal partner, the National Endowment for the Humanities, as part of the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Thank you.